Chapter 9 of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Eastman. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchette Carey. Chapter 9 The Wood House. Without love, there is no interior pleasantness of life. Swedenborg It was a lovely July afternoon when Malcolm Herrick and his friend arrived at Earlsfield. A smart dog-cart, Cedric's own especial property, was waiting for them at the station. As they mounted to their places, and Cedric took the reins from the groom, he pointed out the good points of the mare with an air of complacency and satisfaction that somewhat amused Malcolm. But the next moment he said in a boyish manner, "'You see, Herrick, I have not got quite used to my new toy. My sisters gave me the trap on my last birthday. I have had brown Becky for two years. She is good for either driving or riding, but I dropped a hint once in Dinah's hearing that I longed for a dog-cart.' and though she said nothing at the time, she and Elizabeth put their heads together, and they got Mr. Broderick, a neighbor of ours, to choose it. "'Your sisters are very good to you,' observed Malcolm, in rather a patronizing manner. He even smiled to himself furtively at the thought of the two gentle spinsters. "'A good-looking boy like Cedric is always spoiled by his womankind,' he said to himself, if I ever get on intimate terms with them, which is very unlikely, I shall tell them all this petting and spoiling is not good for the lad, and will only unfit him for his work in life. Women have no sense of proportion, he continued rather irritably. They either do too much or too little, and the Mrs. Templeton seem to be no exceptions to the rule. They had left Earlsfield behind them and were now climbing the long, winding ascent that led to Staplegrove. As the road grew steeper, Brown Becky slackened her pace. The heavy storms had tempered the great heat, and though the sky was cloudless and the sunshine brilliant, the trees meeting overhead gave them a pleasant shade, and a soft, refreshing breeze blew in their faces. Malcolm drew a long breath of delight. "'There is nothing like the country after all,' he observed. "'When I have made my pile, I shall pitch my tent or build myself a hut far from the madding crowd, and bid good-bye to Lincoln's Inn and Piccadilly and Clubland, and all the delights of modern civilization.' "'Not you, old fellow,' returned Cedric sagaciously. "'Why, you would be bored to death in no time.' But Malcolm shook his head. Am I not a lover of the picturesque, my dear boy? Nature intended me for a country gentleman. Malcolm so dearly loved argument for its own sake that he did not always consider it necessary to weigh the accurate truth of his words. He liked to take different views of the same subject. On more than one occasion in Cedric's hearing he had compared himself with Charles Lamb. Custom had made the presence of society, streets, and crowds, the theatre and the picture-gallery, an absolute necessity. Why, in some moods, he would take this as his text, and discourse most eloquently, on what he called the spectacle of the streets. 
There are few days when there are not groups of Hogarth-like figures, he would say, sketches from the life, abounding in humour or infinite pathos. There is a blind beggar and his dog over in a corner by the temple station, he continued, that I never can pass without putting a penny in the box. The dog's face is perfectly human in its expression. The eyes speak. I gave him a bone once. A meaty bone it was, too. And here Malcolm looked a little ashamed of himself. In fact, it was a mutton-chop, and I stole it off the luncheon-table. I kept the beggar in conversation while he ate it. Sir, for he was addressing Amius Keston at that moment, that dog positively groveled at my feet with affection and gratitude. How many mutton-chops has he had since? asked his friend. He never had another, responded Malcolm sadly. The carriage of a greasy paper full of meat is too much even for my philanthropy. But I take him dry biscuits, sometimes sprats meat biscuits, and tobacco for the baker. He is an old soldier and wears his medal, and the dog, Boxer is his name, is like Nathan's ewe lamb to him. He has got a crippled son, a natural he calls him, who fetches him home in the evening. I saw him once, went on Malcolm, puffing slowly at his cigarette, an uncouth sort of chap on crutches, and when Boxer saw him he nearly knocked him down, jumping on him for joy, and they all went home together, quite a cheerful family party. "'You would not be happy away from town, Herrick,' persisted Cedric. "'That's such a jolly crib of yours at Cheney Walk.' For he had been greatly struck by the Keston menage, and had quite fallen in love with his quaint little hostess, while Verity, on her side, had taken very kindly to the handsome lad, and made much of him for Malcolm's sake. "'Oh, I am comfortable enough,' returned Malcolm. "'Chelsea is sacred ground to me. Did not Carlyle live and die there? Besides, there is the river and the bridges and Battersea Park in the distance, and the house where Gabriel Dante Rossetti lived, and an old historical church and the grand old hospital, and all sorts of grey secluded old nooks and corners over which I can gloat when I take my walks abroad.' "'What a queer chap you are, Herrick,' Cedric returned in a puzzled tone. He felt rather like the bewildered satyr when the traveller blew hot and cold. But Malcolm was perfectly sincere. No man loved the country more truly and sincerely. Nevertheless, the town was equally necessary to him, and if he had been compelled to choose between them, his casting vote would have been for town.' "'We are at the top of the hill now,' observed Cedric presently, with a jerk of the reins to remind Brown Becky that she must not go to sleep, and then they bowled swiftly down a wide-open road. They had just passed a crossroad, which, as Cedric informed Malcolm, led to Rotherwood, where the nearest church and shops were, when Malcolm's attention was attracted by a house they were passing. It was a small grey house, standing rather back from the road, with a garden at the side, full of gay flower-borders. "'Oh, that's the crow's nest,' observed Cedric, "'where the Logans live. "'That is where your friends the Kestons are coming. "'Oh, there is no need of looking at it now.' "'As Malcolm craned his neck in his effort to see more of it. "'We can go over it any day we like. "'Here we are at the wood-house.' "'And Cedric drove in at an open gate. 
Malcolm looked round in pleased surprise. At that moment the house was not visible. They seemed driving through a little wood. Only the carriage road winding between the fir trees was beautifully kept. Now and then there was an open glade, but the greater part was thickly fringed with heather, bracken, and whortleberry bushes. The next moment Cedric turned a corner sharply, and a low grey house and a well-kept tennis lawn were before them. "'What a charming place!' exclaimed Malcolm. "'It certainly merits its name. It is indeed a wood-house.' "'Dinah is going to build a lodge next year.' returned Cedric. Lots of people refuse to believe there is a house in the wood, and lose themselves a dozen times before they find it. Ah, there's Dinah on the lookout for us. Jump down, Herrick. I will follow you directly. I want to speak to Forbes about the mare. Malcolm did as he was told, and entered the long, softly lighted hall. Perhaps the sunshine had dazzled his eyes a little, but at that instant he thought it was a young girl who was advancing to meet him. The figure was so rounded and graceful, and there was such alertness and youthfulness in the bearing. But as she came closer to him, he saw that her hair was quite grey. "'I am very pleased indeed to see you, Mr. Herrick,' she observed in a pleasant voice. "'We have heard so much of you from Cedric that you seem quite an old friend. I am afraid you will find us very quiet, homely people, but I dare say Cedric will have prepared you for that. He grumbles dreadfully, poor boy, at our old-fashioned humdrum ways. I can assure you, Miss Templeton, that the quiet will be very restful after the turmoil of town, returned Malcolm seriously, and as far as I can judge at present, Staplegrove seems a perfect paradise. And then Miss Templeton smiled, and led the way into a pleasant, cosy-looking drawing-room, with three windows opening on to a terrace, below which lay a charming garden. On this side of the house the wood ended abruptly, but in the distance, beyond a rose-arch, Malcolm caught sight of a little rustic bridge, which seemed to span a sort of green ravine. Miss Templeton had taken her place at the tea-table, but Malcolm did not at once follow her. After all, town has its drawbacks, he said half to himself, but Miss Templeton understood him. "'You mean one has to do without gardens there,' she returned. "'That would never suit either my sister or myself. Our garden is very dear to us. You have not seen all its beauties yet, Mr. Herrick,' she continued brightly. "'It is full of surprises. When I have given you some tea, we will go in search of my sister. She is sure to be down at the pool.' We call it Ophelia's Pool, because it reminds us so of a picture we have seen in the Royal Academy. It is our favorite haunt on a hot summer's afternoon. Malcolm made an appropriate reply, and for the next few minutes they talked pleasantly of Staplegrove, and the short cut that led to Rotherwood Church and Village. And then Cedric joined them, and began chatting volubly to his sister, and Malcolm drank his tea and watched them both. He owned to Anna afterwards that Dinah Templeton was a revelation to him, and that all his preconceived notions of her fell as flat as a pack of cards. The demure and somewhat stately spinster he was expecting to see was certainly not in evidence in this grey-haired, radiant-looking woman. 
the soft girlish bloom and the silvery hair were wonderfully attractive, and yet what struck him most, with a sort of indefinable surprise, was the mingled gentleness and brightness of expression. There was such a wonderful clearness in the eyes. It somehow reminded him of the innocent look of a happy child. And it was to this sweet woman that Cedric was talking in that cavalier fashion, with much affection certainly, but little reverence, after the manner of the nineteenth-century youth. More than once Malcolm muttered, Jackanapes, under his breath, and once he interposed. Our young friend is too modern in his notions, Miss Templeton, he observed. Young Oxford is so cocksure of everything under the sun. It is a fault of the age. Oh, do you think so? And Miss Templeton looked relieved. For the moment her serenity had seemed slightly clouded with what her sister always called her hen-and-duckling look. Oh, you may laugh, Cedric, looking at him fondly, but I intend to believe Mr. Herrick. He is older and more experienced. Oh, we have such arguments sometimes, turning to Malcolm. Cedric will have it that we are not sufficiently up-to-date. We are medieval or in the dark ages, according to him, but how is one to alter one's nature or to talk unknown languages? My sister and I are very conservative, and we cling to the beliefs and loves of the past. I don't believe Cedric wants to change you in the least, Miss Templeton. He is only posing a bit for your edification, and trying to make you think that he is as clever as he looks. Come now, draw it mild, growled Cedric and then he looked discontentedly round the room. "'Where's Dick and the rest of the fellows? I bet you anything you like, Di, that they are down with Elizabeth at the pool.' Dinah smiled as she rose from the table. "'You are right, dear,' she returned composedly. "'I saw the whole train following her as usual. Dick wanted to go with the dog-cart. He knew his master was expected, but Forbes said it was too hot for the run.' If you are ready, Cedric, we might go down to the pool now. And as Cedric graciously intimated his readiness, Dinah led the way through the flower garden, only pausing on the rustic bridge to let Malcolm lean over and admire the hanging gardens below. The sides of the little ravine been clothed from the top to the bottom with wild flowers and plants of every description. The traveller's joy had even gained a footing on the bridge itself. To add to the beauty, a tiny rivulet, which seemed to take its rise from some invisible source, flowed through the flowery ravine like a silver thread. "'What a charming spot!' observed Malcolm, in a tone of such sincere admiration that Miss Templeton looked quite gratified. "'It was my sister's idea,' she said softly. "'She originates most of our improvements.' Now, as you see, we have come to the end of our garden, and are going down that little woodland path. We are both passionately fond of flowers, and like to see them from the house, but in our hearts I believe we love our wild garden best. And you are right, one could never be tired of this. And Malcolm glanced at the slender stems of the firs and the soft green light between the tree-bowls. Just here the ground was bare except for the carpet of brown needles, but the next moment the path became more tangled and sloped rather steeply. 
they could distinctly hear a dog bark. "'Take him to the people,' whispered Cedric in his sister's ear, and Miss Templeton nodded and stepped off the path. Then she beckoned Malcolm to look through some interlacing branches which formed a natural arch. It was a charming little sylvan scene that met his eyes. The spot had been fitly called Ophelia's Pool. The small pond was shut in with rowans and thickets of alder and blackberry bushes, and on the pond itself some water-lilies and other aquatic plants were growing. Two or three rough boulders, cushioned with moss, made comfortable seats, and were at the present moment occupied by two people, one of them evidently the second Miss Templeton, and the other a young man in a rough serge suit, whom at first sight Malcolm certainly did not take for a clergyman, and round them, in various attitudes of waiting and expectancy, dogs of all sorts and conditions, from a handsome brown retriever to Cedric's little fox-terrier, Dick. "'My word, there's Carlion,' observed Cedric, in rather an aggrieved tone. "'Why, the fellow lives here!' And then he put his hands to his mouth, and gave a view hello so lustily that all the dogs began barking like mad. Only Dick, who was a knowing fellow and up to tricks, rushed up the path and began dancing excitedly round his master. "'What barbarians boys are!' observed the other Miss Templeton, somewhat coolly to her companion, and then she rose from the boulder and walked rather majestically towards her sister and their guest. Her manner was friendly, and she greeted Malcolm kindly enough, but it was less soft and winning than her sister's, and did not impress him so favorably. Then she introduced Mr. Carlion, and the two young men shook hands, and afterwards the dogs passed in review, and Elizabeth gravely named each one, ending up with her sister's little dachshund, Mike. Malcolm, who was a dog-lover, although he had none of his own, was soon making friends with all the animals. But as he praised and caressed them, he was telling himself over and over again that the second Miss Templeton could not hold a candle to her sister. Malcolm was terribly critical with regard to women, Anna had often blamed him for his severity. "'It is a mistake to expect perfection,' she would say. "'It is so easy to find fault and pick holes in people.' But though Malcolm agreed with her, he still remained fastidious and hard to please. So he at once decided that Miss Elizabeth Templeton was not to his taste. In the first place, he did not admire big women. And she was tall, and decidedly massive. Her dress, too, was singularly unbecoming. A big woman in a cotton blouse and a battered old hat was a spectacle to make him shudder. Miss Templeton's blue muslin and dainty ruffles were a pleasing contrast. "'It is a woman's duty to set herself off as much as possible,' he would say to the long-suffering Anna, and then he transposed a certain saying. If you can't be handsome, be as handsome as you can. And he would hold forth on the immorality of slovenliness. I dare say Miss Elizabeth Templeton would not be bad-looking if she only took a little pains with herself, he thought, as they all grouped themselves comfortably on the boulders. After a moment's hesitation, 
Elizabeth placed herself beside him and began to talk to him. Somehow her voice pleased him. It was not so sweet as her sister's, and there was a sort of burr in it, and when he knew her better he discovered that when she was eager or excited about anything there was a slight hesitation, as though her words tripped each other up. But with all its defects it was a voice to linger in the memory. She was so close to him now that he could judge of her better. She was certainly not handsome. Her features were irregular, and her mouth decidedly too wide for beauty. But the gleam of faultlessly white teeth, and a certain brightness in the dark Irish-gray eyes, redeemed her face from plainness. Her skin, too, was clear and naturally fair, but was evidently embrowned by air and sunshine. Nature had formed her in a generous mould, for even her hands and feet were large. And then Malcolm thought of Anna's pretty little hands, and again he said to himself that, in his opinion, Elizabeth Templeton was not an attractive woman. End of chapter 9